politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for our liberties, to embark on this new revolution. This is where the revolution begins. See our podcast, your host, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house. Today is Friday, end of the week. I'm taking vacation next week. Of course, uh, we're having a, a new revolution taking place. The COVID constitution has supplanted our real constitution, and I decided to go away the worst week. God knows what's going to happen next week, but we will leave you with a pre-taped show for Monday. I'll be back Friday, so look, it's only three days. But had I known, I don't know, I might not have gone away. Because my question is, what is it going to take for the people to rebel? So we had yesterday, obviously, the Supreme Court refused to take our plead, our appeal, on forced vaccination. And the thing about this is, what's so duplicitous is that this would have been the time to have court discovery and a debate over not just a legal aspect, but something that is so vital to our health. Unlike mass and and lockdowns, where everyone's going to come with their data and fake data, and okay, a court could say, I don't want to get involved. Let's just say that. Mind you, they never have a problem getting involved in any other political issue. But here the thing is that... The Fauci and all these guys are saying everyone needs a booster now. Israel, like we said, they're saying it's over. You know, they're preparing for critical care beds. It's not working by their own admission. Their own admission, they say it no longer stops transmission. So how could it affect another human being in any way? To begin with bodily autonomy, there's a hundred years of case law that... Even if they had a reason, it most often wouldn't be enough to override your bodily autonomy. But now they don't even have it. Given what has happened just since the beginning of this court case. But that is another failure of the GOP. But then again, we knew that. I warned you about Amy Barrett signing on to uh, Diane Woods' uh, opinion in the Seventh Circuit on a COVID fascist case. The only reason I didn't go stronger, honestly, I was a little bit too scared. Everyone would think I'm just a extremist. No one, nobody's good enough for you. But look, all these people, all these Republican judges are are crazy. Now later on, hopefully, then or our next show, we're gonna get to crime. Crime is rising, and that's why you people need to support We the People Holsters, not just because it's a great American uh, company supporting the Second Amendment, but because you need a good holster. A lot of people are asking me for the promo code, wethepeopleholsters.com slash CR, offer code CR is in conservative review. You get $10 off, already starting at $40. They make great gun belts. They also have some good printed hoodies. Um, Again, you can't buy a gun and ammo and not have a proper holster. You got to learn how to um, draw from a holster. Uh, a lot of people tell me they can't draw shoot at at ranges. Then you need to find a, ran- a gun range that allows you to do that. Sometimes they'll test you before they allow you. But that is what you need to practice because that's what you're going to run into on the street. Unfortunately, again, go to wethepeopleholsters.com slash CR. So I'm going to have a very special guest on soon to really take us through what's going on. But one of the things that should be discussed in a court discovery is 
any sane person looking at what's going on should be very disturbed by something. And I'm going to get into this in the coming weeks. I believe that the powers that be forcing our COVID response, whatever it was, lockdowns, masks, uh, remdesivir, and then the vaccines, and then censoring all information on life-saving prophylaxis and treatments and ways to boost your immune system that directly speak to the mechanisms of this virus. I believe they knew or were possibly involved in the creation of this virus, and it's very evident that they always seem to know what's coming next. And something doesn't add up, and I am not, I don't like what I'm seeing here. I don't like what I'm seeing. If I look back to what I got right and got wrong, I was dead on on lockdowns, on treatment, on masks. But I think all of us on every side of this debate always just didn't understand what the virus was going to do. We were right that the virus is going to virus and human intervention is not going to change it. But I will tell you, I am very disturbed by where the virus is headed. It's not just that they are destroying our lives, liberty, freedom, economy, um, mental health, and everything you know, for something that's not necessary. It's worse than that. The virus is a problem. They created it, and it appears like they're exacerbating it. Any sane person has to look at this and say, look, let's say the virus, the vaccine is 0% effective. Let's say it would be 0%. You shouldn't see what we're seeing today, which is such a durable strain that is spreading quicker than it did when you already have 40% built-up immunity than it did when it was 0%. You're having more deaths now than you had last year. It's not just the cases. Well, Daniel, those are a bunch of unwashed idiots that aren't following the right guidelines. But it's not true because the reality is when when this iteration hit the South, even the North didn't have lockdowns and masks, right? And where I am in Maryland, you know, some places recently brought it back, but that was too late already. Where I'm in Maryland, there's no mask mandate and no lockdown at this point. And there hasn't been for a few months. So it's not that. Well, Daniel, the vaccination rates. Well, Florida has a high vaccination rate. San Francisco is having their worst spread ever. They have a very high vaccination rate. Plus, they have a mask mandate now. In the North and the Midwest, it hasn't hit hard yet, but it's still much higher than it was last year at this time with insane vaccination rates plus built-up immunity already. What is going on here? I don't like this. Because now we don't just have a problem from the response, but the virus itself. I'm not trying to panic people, but I am concerned from what I'm seeing. This is not natural. This is not natural for something to progress and get worse. It flies in the face of what we've always seen with viruses. So how much of this is, this is how the virus was coded to begin with? And how much of it is the vaccine manipulating it? So again, our special guest is going to go over this. But Israel is now down. I mean, it's every 48 hours, another shoe drops. Now they're having a third booster for anyone over 50. They started with 60. They dropped it to 50 now. 
okay? That doesn't add up. You know, Moderna's own trial on 12 to 17-year-olds, published in the New England Journal of Medicine, reveals that the vaccine, in their words, is only 39% effective from getting it, which is a lie and outdated. So Israel's requiring boosters now. 694 people are being treated in Israeli hospital, 400 in serious condition. 64% of these patients are defined as serious. You can't deny that. <clears throat> Israel is having a much worse situation than last year with nearly every adult vaccinated. You can't run or hide from that point. Oh, well, maybe the vaccine is a total bust. But it's worse than a bust. A bust, you you maybe have a little bit of percolation for the people that didn't yet get it, but nothing like this. So this is unbelievable. Unbelievable what is going on. And I'm not really sure what we do about this. But then... Where is this? More than 4,000 verified cases in Israel by midnight. Number of patients in critical condition jumped by about 70% within a week. This is according to an Israeli Hebrew language publication. And meanwhile, natural immunity is holding up. So um, there's a pre-printed study at MedRxIV that shows, breaks down all the variants. It's hard to even know what's going on with a variant. Maybe we'll talk about that with our guest. But natural immunity is holding up very well against Delta. The vaccines are not. And yet they're now talking about, I mean, we essentially have a vaccine mandate for most people in this country. Most families at least have one person, if not everyone, who is barred from college, barred from work, and now they're, you know, entering in some cities into put, pushing this for just indoor places. And now they're talking about doing it on international travel. So what you have going on right now is worse than anything King George could have imagined, which spawned a revolution. They're lying to us about everything. So we can't get a good picture of what's going on. Again, I will tell you, I don't like what I'm seeing with the virus. It seems to have gotten worse in many ways. But it's murky because certain aspects, like with children, they're, they're using RSV cases. And if I have time, I'll get into some of my research on that. There's a lot of new information. We also had a listener um, uh, that did a terrific job breaking down some info on that, sent, sent me some good stuff on this. I don't like... What we're seeing here. You have I'm getting emails from people that they can't visit loved ones in hospitals now. Um, some hospitals you have to have the vaccine, but then others, even if you had the vaccine, you can't visit like a COVID ICU. So you don't even have a family member to advocate. There's zero treatment outpatient, all censored, inpatient. It's terrible what they're doing to them. They're giving stuff that not only doesn't work, but probably makes it worse. 
dexamethasone and rem remdesivir, it appears that it might make people worse and wind up forcing them on ventilators, which of course in itself comes with very high risks and makes people even worse. And I don't know, you know, if we have time, I might get into this with our guests. We have so much to talk about. But, I, you know, I didn't, I, both Dr. Cole and our next guest, Dr. Stock, I didn't even know about this. I did a whole piece on vitamin D, and I have a column out today. And my main point was, look, you had 17 months to bulk up your levels. It takes a few months. We know the, the, the research is, is amazing. Um, if you get your levels above a certain level, it's almost impossible to have a critical illness from this. And it's enduring, and it's great for 50 other health benefits, and there's zero risk. It's cheap as anything. Why aren't we pushing this? Fauci takes 6,000 IUs a day. Most people do not, and they think that's an insane amount when really most people actually do need that, especially if you're, you're you know, a senior and you're indoors a lot. But what I was told is that D3 that we take, is that's inactive, meaning your liver has to first con con convert it to the you know 25-hydroxy, whatever that's called, um, the active form of it. But, you know, my assumption was that if you get it and you already have a low level, well, then, you know, that's not, you know, it's, it's good to take it, but it's not going to save you, and you need certainly the other therapeutics. But they were all telling me, no, Daniel, you're wrong. There is an active form that you could inject in. I think there's pill form too, but certainly through IV, that right away you get a patient that is at risk of crashing, you inject that into them, and you'll immediately get their levels to where you need it, the active form. And they're like, either you can't get it, they won't do it, it's been censored. So, you know, we talk about, you know, why don't they administer ivermectin? Why don't they use methylprednisone instead of dexamethasone in the hospital? Several other points. But, I mean, this is unbelievable. The active form of D injections. So we'll we'll talk about that as well. Now, first, for those of you like me going on a summer vacation and you want to just chill out, listen to music, listen to an audiobook, you need comfortable earbuds that uh, will actually work, will stay in your ear, give you good battery power. Raycon is a quality brand, top-of-the-line brand for a price that's not exorbitant. I love my Raycons. I hate things in my ear. I have like sensory issues. That's why I don't wear a watch. I don't like stuff. I don't have a watch or a wedding band. I just don't like stuff on me. Um, but this feels like it's molded to your ear. Um, my son just stole mine for his camp. He travels a lot for camp and he took mine, but I can get it back for him for our trip. Um, you get crisp, powerful beats, good sound. Um, again, they feel, feel really good. 24-hour battery life. Great portability. They're offering 15% off all their products for my listeners. And here's what you've got to do to get it. Go to buyraycon.com slash conservative. Get 15% off on your order. Order a pair. Order a spare for a friend. 15% off. Buyraycon.com slash conservative. That's buyraycon.com slash conservative. Okay, folks. So now it's time for our special guest. Now, We've had on a number of terrific doctors and scientists who, if our government would have brought them in rather than the clowns they have in NIH and CDC, we would have actually cured this, treated people, given them full immunity through it, 
um, with a fraction of the deaths and certainly without the tyranny, the collateral damage and all that. And we've had a number of great ones. It's hard to pick a favorite. Um, Ryan Cole, I know we call him the encyclopedia. You could just speak to him about anything about the pathology and the mechanisms of action of different treatments and whatever. But if he's the encyclopedia, we have a new machine. And that is Dr. Dan Stocks. Some of you might have heard him. He's an Indiana um, you know, family practice doctor, uh, direct primary care doctor, concierge physician. And he gave this six-minute lecture to the Mount Vernon School Board there in Indiana. And a lot of us were wondering, man, how do you give over just all the lies of, of 17 months, the most devastating, consequential lies of all time that affected every facet of our life, that everything we should have done, they didn't do, and everything they did was not only ineffective, but the worst possible things to do. But somehow, in a matter of a six minutes, he kind of really gave it all over, and everyone's like, who is this guy? Where is he? We need to get a hold of him. And likewise, I said, yeah, I got to get him on the show. And thankfully, um, Tina, one of our listeners from Indiana, uh, was able to get a hold of him, and he agreed to come on on short notice to give us the true facts of what we should be concerned about with the virus, what's going on, what should be done, what should not be done, what is uh, really making it worse. Dr. Dan, thanks so much for joining us on short notice. Thanks for having me, Dan. All righty. So we all heard your uh, six-minute lecture there. People really were fired up from it. Um, I want to jump right into it because I don't want to waste any time here. I am very concerned by what I'm seeing. Putting putting everything aside, putting any politics, any view just on vaccine mandates and anything else, just purely from a virology, epidemiological standpoint, we had a virus that, you know, it was kind of pretty predictable for about a year what it did, what it didn't do, who it affected, how quickly it spread. It almost worked like clockwork. You know, it was six to eight week curves in a given area, then it moves on. It overwhelmingly only got certain types of people very sick and certainly the fatalities. And that's what it was. But you look now, we are 40, let's say, let's just use a rough number, and I think it's pretty close, before the Delta or whatever it really is hit, we're about 40% zero prevalence nationwide, some more, some less, depending on the area. Um, so that's pretty solid built-up immunity, much less um, uh, tinder for the virus to get. So it should spread much slower than it did initially. Um, and then you had the vaccine where, depending on the state, you have a majority or a supermajority um, vaccinated. In no place is it 3%, 10%. In every place, 75% of seniors at least are vaccinated. In Florida, it's 91%. And yet, it is spreading quicker than it did this time last year. In some ways, it's rivaling even the winter spreads. There, It's hard to tell because the government doesn't have good data, and I think that's done on purpose. But it's hard to tell exactly what the story is. But there are indications that, to a certain extent, it is roping in younger people. A much larger cohort are getting sicker from this. How in the world could we explain this even if there's zero percent efficacy to the vaccine, well, I think the explanation is, to my mind, by far the best explanation has nothing to do with variants. It has to do with everything we knew about viral respiratory vaccination since 1966, and that is the induction of something called antibody-mediated viral enhancement. Um, 
To me, it is by far the best explanation and the only one I can think of that can explain why we're seeing outbreaks like Barnstable, Massachusetts, where three quarters of the people in the outbreak were fully vaccinated. The only explanation for why we see doctors in Israel saying 50% of the hospitalized people are fully vaccinated. And that is uh, antibody-mediated viral enhancement actually as a way to manipulate the immune system so it will fight the virus wrong. Um, so just a quick little immune system uh, tour de force to, to bore people to death because that's what I get paid to do for a living. Um, when you get infected with a respiratory viral pathogen, say like COVID-19, you trigger some very, very specific intelligent reactions from your immune system. So your immune system actually knows your left thumb from your right thumb. It knows if it's in the liver, the spleen, the brain. Um, the tissue actually talks to the immune system and tells it this is where I'm at. And when you get a viral respiratory infection, what the immune system hears is, I have an infection right now limited to my respiratory system, and it's a viral infection, not a bacterial infection, and that triggers the immune system to make what are called the Th1 or cytotoxic T cell response. These are cells that crawl in between all of the cells, looking for cells that have viral proteins on them and destroying them and getting rid of them. And then, after it's cleared out all these virally infected cells, if there was enough stimulus, it may then tell the helper T cells that are coordinating this to switch to the Th2 mode, and then they will gen generate B cells that make antibodies. So it's an important thing to know that antibodies actually don't fight infections. They mostly reside in the bloodstream, and their job is to present dissemination when something comes back and infects you again. But there's a big problem with this because the, the T helper cells are always being forced to choose between going the Th1 route and making the cytotoxic T cells that fight the infection or going the Th2 route to making antibodies. Whoa, whoa. So, so, so you, you threw a lot of information there, a lot of important things to our audience. So I want to make sure I could follow this, our audience could follow along before you go on to the next step. So the first step and just typically how it works, you're saying it's not that there are antibodies that magically start fighting things. It's the T cells, which are the CD8 killer cells. They're like your Navy SEALs. They go around, search and destroy, hunt down the terrorists. All right, where's that virus? I know where you are. You know, I don't miss. I don't just shoot indiscriminately. I know in this case it's in the lungs. I'm going to go right there. Um, so, so typically, so that, it, that that's the response you'll want to do and because you want to kill that virus. And then the antibodies you're saying is incidental that – it's more long term. Hey, are we gonna are we gonna you know kill Bin Laden now, or are we gonna ramp up our military in the long term so we have some sort of a deterrent? So is that is that kind of the choice the you know the 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 long term route of creating antibodies or the short term that I need to kill the the virus or is did, did I miss the mark? Well, it's, uh, you're close. Um, basically, what the immune system's getting signals from is, hey, how many different tissues are infected here? And if it's getting signals from one tissue, then it says, okay, cytotoxic T cells are the best thing to do here. It's not invading all of my tissues. I don't need to prevent it from spreading from the primary site. But if the virus gets loose in the bloodstream and it starts to get up in many different tissues, many different tissues start reporting that, hey, I need those T, uh, T helper cells over here. I've got the same protein, the same virus here. Then the T helper cells say, oh, my God, it got out of the primary thing. Now we'll make antibodies to prevent spread. We may have to sacrifice the lung here to protect everybody else, but we're going to do it. Um, so that's a problem then, because when your first exposure to the pathogen is system-wide, like when you give a vaccine, 
you may well convince the T helper cells because they have some way to memorize what they did the first time that the next time I contact my uh, antigen, I go immediately to production of B cells and the making of antibodies. And I don't make T helper cells, or at least I make less of them. Well, now the problem is if you get another local infection, which is what you're going to do on your second exposure when you get exposed to COVID-19 virus, the lung tissue starts to get infected. It activates the immune system, which does not send adequate T, uh, cytotoxic T cells. It just starts making antibodies. And those antibodies are great at preventing the virus from getting out of the lung and going someplace else, but they actually let the lung get more infected than it would have had it not been vaccinated and could have mounted a proper cytotoxic T cell response. So now the lung continues to get sicker and sicker, puts out more inflammatory cytokines, which doubles down on the reaction. And now you've got a vicious feedback loop, which is making the immune system do something which isn't very effective at getting rid of the tissue that just got infected. This really shouldn't have been a surprise to anybody. Uh, this happened in the respiratory syncytial virus vaccine in the 1960s, where the, the, we actually had a placebo-controlled trial. We actually had more children die in the active treatment arm than in placebo. This was actually seen in the SARS coronavirus animal trials, where they saw this very same phenomenon developing in 20% of the ferrets. Um, I think anybody who was really looking closely at this would have realized that even if we thought it was safe to put a pro-inflammatory clot-generating protein on every cell in the body, it probably would have induced a very bad reaction in the immune system to make it happen systemically. Because then we would actually tell the immune system, when you get a localized infection that develops again in the respiratory system, fight wrong. And now you get an immune system response which is less helpful than you would have had had you just been infected in the native fashion. And this, I think, is a much better explanation for what we're seeing right now as a phenomenon than any variant that's there. After all, these variants are minimally different genetically, and while they, they may even produce a different protein, I haven't seen data that says we know for sure they produce a different protein, but maybe they do, but that protein isn't going to be different at every epitope. Um, it can't explain why we're seeing this big breakdown of immunity among vaccinated people. Uh, the reason we're seeing more disease develop is most likely that we've done exactly what the animal trials suggested was going to happen was that the vaccinated people are actually having their immune system work wrong, making them more vulnerable to the COVID-19 virus. So I understand what you're saying in general, that you know the natural immunity works very well, the T cells will direct their fire to where it needs to go, um, you'll kill the, the virus, and then it will produce, you know, obviously the, the, the antibodies. The vaccine, and, and, and the proponents were obsessed with this. They were like, look at the level of antibodies that are being generated that we see right away. Two weeks later, we test them. They have amazing antibody levels, way higher than even you know people with prior infection get. And that, that this is so awesome. And that's what they used as the basis for saying that even you know prior infected people need to go and get the vaccine. So you're saying when you have insane high levels of antibodies, that's actually a negative. Well, it's, it's a good indicator that your immune system's fighting wrong. Um, I think one of the most important things to remember is that when a tissue becomes infected, antibodies aren't what clears out the tissue. It's those cytotoxic T cells. And it's possible to convince an immune system to not make those. It, you know, it's got limited resources. It's got a switching signaling system. And if you flip that switch very early on, you can actually make somebody's immune system spend a lot of energy doing something which is not helpful 
And now it's got a worse reaction than it would have had had it never been vaccinated and got exposed to that pathogen. And this isn't news. Um, this is something that I would have expected anybody with real expertise in this to have been terribly worried about and have actually followed the safety protocols we had for developing vaccines and making this thing. Um, it's one of the big disservices I've seen from the FDA is they've been telling people and the, and the CDC as well that no, no steps were cut in making this vaccine. Well, they were all cut. Um, and so if we've got a horrible antibody-mediated viral enhancement going on right now, it shouldn't be a surprise. In fact, I would say it's the more likely explanation. So so here's I'm, – I'm going to challenge you here because you're really smart. You have all the answers, and we're just trying to find the truth here. Um, what you're saying – I understand the science of what you're saying now that you explained it, and I would have expected that possibly in the coming weeks and months as the – you know, next set step in the sequence. But what we're seeing right now seems to be a little bit in the middle of what you're saying. Meaning, if you look at what we see now, and again, there's a lot of obfuscation of data, but you're actually, you're not seeing the vaccinated, in my view, getting it qualitatively worse or greater percentage. But what you're seeing is, it seems in the macro sense, in my view, not in the UK, and this is something needs to be worked out, but in parts of America, maybe other places in the world, the virus seems to be behaving in a way that's more destructive in general, roping in more people, spreading more quickly, but still more unvaccinated do have more problems from it albeit there's tremendous breakthrough among the vaccinated and just the risk-benefit analysis doesn't seem to, to to pan out for most people with it. And it does seem that it's a time lapse. Um, in, in Israel, which started the earliest, it's almost on par, the vaccination ratio and the ratio of people vaccinated in ICU beds. It's not more than the proportion, and it might still be a little bit less, by the way, there, but it's getting close. In the UK, it's somewhere in between. In America, we don't have good data, and they definitely are downplaying the number of vaccinated in the hospital, but it certainly doesn't seem to be the majority, not yet. So the question is, with your theory, wouldn't you be seeing oh, unmistakably the vaccinated people getting qualitatively sicker than the unvaccinated? Well, there's actually a way in which if you've developed antibody-mediated viral enhancement, you would be more dangerous to the people around you. Because remember, the cytotoxic T cells are what goes into this respiratory system and destroys the breeding ground for the virus. If you never make that, then you can actually make somebody who gets an infection shed virus at the same level, or if it gets bad enough, at a higher level than a person who had an intact immune system that had never been vaccinated. Now, exactly how much um, derangement of the immune system function we're seeing right now, we can't say because nobody's doing the proper research, as I can tell. But you have to remember, you can actually, we've had already the CDC has admitted that at least with this Delta variant, which my personal bet is, is note, it just happens to be the variant that was developing at the same time antibody-mediated viral enhancement started to develop in the mm. individual. Any variant would have done this. Yep. But that what's happening here is that we're actually making people who are vaccinated so that they cannot fight the local lung infection, and therefore they are shedding virus at a level that is equal to what people who had native infection were. Um, and the CDC has already admitted that that's happening. Well, I mean, if that's happening, one wonders what will happen with the next infection. Um, there's a, actually a cascading effect here that happens because as the lung has more and more virus in it, and more and more virus starts to get out from the lung 
to the rest of the body, now the body really does have a reason to switch over to making antibodies, and it's going to learn that. And now the next time it's exposed to the pathogen, it may make even less cytotoxic T cells, go even faster into antibody immunity, leaving the person so they become even worse now in their cytotoxic T cell response than they would have had had they never been vaccinated. Now, I'm speaking theoretically, sure. but I have to say that the data I see right now supports that hypothesis much more than the idea that the Delta variant is somehow worse um, and harder on an immune system than any other. Wow, wow. So now, folks, I mean, obviously, um, it, listening to Dr. Stocks, you could see he is an encyclopedia of knowledge on, on medicine. If you guys want an encyclopedia of knowledge on both firearms and the Constitution, you got, you got to join me at constitutioncoach.com. Our next trainings are the end of September and October. I'll be at the October 31st one out in Pahrump, Nevada. Rick Crean of Patriot Academy gives terrific Constitution classes at night. During the day, we're out on the range all day, 90% off the regular cost. You cannot beat it. You just got to pay for ammo and your accommodations. This is when we get to meet together, plan out our Liberty Strike Force teams, what we want to do to save the Republic, shoot together, meet the greatest patriots. It's so much fun. It's become my my new playground. So again, go to constitutioncoach.com, find out more details. Okay, so back to Dr. Stocks. Um, what I'm gathering from you is is a couple of interesting things jive with me. My my mind is like, I'm, I'm going in all different directions because what you're telling me is a little bit new um, from my thinking. So number one do I have this correct that you could have a phenomenon at least temporarily with a certain waning efficacy that it does have a degree of efficacy for at least a snapshot in time in a, in a, in a given area to the people themselves who were vaccinated to the extent that they'll be very symptomatic. And even as Lindsey Graham, Senator Lindsey Graham said flu like symptoms, but they're not going to get the bad cytokine storm and the hypoxia and, you know, or most of them won't for now, but they're actually a greater danger to spreading it to the unvaccinated, the exact opposite narrative that the government's putting out. Is that what you're telling me? Well, whether they're worse or equal, I don't know right now. It looks like it's probably about equal. Um, but if it's, equal in its ability to spread virus with, if you're vaccinated, then why are we spending thousands of dollars a shot for something that has nasty side effects, has a nasty track record on VAERS, and doesn't reduce transmission? Um, yeah. Yeah, and the, the big scare of this is if it's going to end up as bad as it was with the respiratory syncytial virus vaccine, where it actually made the immune system response become so deranged that it was worse than just getting infected. Um, you know, that that may not happen with the first re-exposure after vaccination. But remember, if that first fax, if that first exposure after vaccination actually starts to lead this virus to build up so much in the lungs that now it does spread to other tissues and the immune system says, no, I have to do antibodies now. And then it learns that on the second exposure to pathogen after vaccination, it may downregulate cytotoxic T cell even further. And now you actually see people dying. Um, so, in other words, now it's not just preventing a hospital, you're getting symptoms, but at least you're not going in the hospital. Um, now you're actually seeing people whose immune system is so compromised that they're worse off than if they'd never been vaccinated and we see the death rate go up. And had anybody done and thought about a long-term uh, safety trial on these vaccines before we rolled them out, we would actually have that definitive data right now. 
No, exactly, exactly. And and again, this is not proven yet, but it was not properly studied. Um, I've pointed out to my audience again and again that the memorandum from the FDA, page 52 of their 57-page memorandum on you know the experimental, the EUA on, on Pfizer shot, they say, look, we, it doesn't appear to be a short-term problem of ADE. Um, they have a section on ADE, and they say, but but um, <clears throat> in the long run, we don't know. It's it, it could be a concern if there's waning immunity. Well, now they admit there's waning immunity. Moderna said there's waning immunity. You need a booster, they're saying. So, you know, and, and, and ADE is always going to be more of a long-term or, you know, it's not going to be immediate uh, of a problem. So that is something that definitely has to be explored. One of the things that I'm getting from you that might answer one of my questions. So what's flummoxing me now is that we all saw the UK put out very good data. They had a variant report every Friday. I think their newest one should come out any minute. Um, they broke it down by variant. They actually you know, had a lot of transparency. And we consistently saw a theme that, number one, even in the panicked media and their reporting app for the contact tracing was that increasingly people were getting cold, not flu-like symptoms. And it really started to behave almost the way we always thought it would. It would become endemic, attenuate to a cold, more transmissible, but much less virulent. And the CFR in their document for Delta was much lower than Alpha. And we're like, wow, you know, that kind of made sense. But when it came to America, it's like, you know, this is, I don't know how bad it is going to get, but we've easily already surpassed the UK's experience. Even though we have roughly the same obesity rates, we were tracking almost exactly with them in terms of death rate. Like they were one level below us on world meter. You know, whatever number we were, like number 35, they were 36. And we had roughly the same seroprevalence as them. So we should have had the same experience and we're not. So if it's Delta that's doing it in a, in a vacuum, it, it doesn't make sense. But what you're telling me, we don't know exactly why it would be in a given area, but it makes a little bit more sense that it's going to be, it's not the delta, it just this is happens to be the iterations around. It's if ADE was bound to happen, it's going to come out in different places at different times. Is, did, did I explain that correctly? Yes, and with different variants. It won't really matter which variant it is. None of these variants are going to change so much genetically that the immune system doesn't react to them at all. And I would tell people that what we're seeing is not waning uh, immunity. We're seeing deranged immunity. We're actually telling the immune system to work wrong. It's responding. It's just responding the wrong way. My concern is that you know, if we wait to act until we have definitive data, which we are never going to have because the study is not going to be done, um, then if we're wrong and this is ADE, we're going to smoke a lot of people if we don't stop now. And in fact, that's the most important thing I would want people to know is, look, we're not going to have perfect data. We have to ask the question, first of all, if we're not going to have perfect data, what is our best guess? And do we have alternatives that don't have the risks of immune yes. system derangement that we could use in place of it? And, and, and I want to get to those alternatives. Um, but before we run out of time, I want to just uh, finish up a little bit on ADE and the concerns about the trajectory of the virus and the, and the policies we're doing. So the next policy is, um, and, and this is not no longer uh, a prediction, it's, it's happening. Israel's already administering a third shot. They started with over 60, just came out today. They're doing over 50 now. 
Um, and the U.S. just authorized it for immunocompromised, and Fauci said yesterday everyone's going to need thereafter a third shot. Could you describe to the audience what you think the effects, the macro and micro effects of, of uh, continuing with more boosters? Well, given that the vaccine deranges the immune system, the more times you do it with a systemic exposure, the more you switch it into antibody-mediated immunity and the more you switch it away from cytotoxic T-cell immunity, you would expect to make the immune system get more and more and more deranged. Um, this is the, the point that if you understand ADE, if it's a possibility, you must not give boosters uh, because that booster is not going to be blown into your lungs in a local infection that might convince the immune system to fight right. It's going to be put in as a shot, and that's going to mimic a systemic infection, which is going to further reinforce the making of antibodies and not the making of cytotoxic T cells. And now when the virus comes in through the lungs, you have even worse derangement and ability to fight it. Again, this is theoretical. It's not proven. It's not going to be proven. But there, with the understanding we have right now and what we're seeing, our best explanation is vaccination should stop. Um, we have data to believe that this probably is the most likely response, that the more we vaccinate, the more chance we have of ADE, and the more we booster, the worse we'll make the risk of ADE. And that our better option would be to say, look, stop, maybe we can get a group of people who will do a long-term safety and treatment trial with the vaccines to answer these questions with definition. But we're not going to have that information right now, so we're going to yes. have to make with the best data we have. And i got to tell you, the best data in this doctor's mind is that the CDC and the NIH has advised us very poorly from the beginning and that their advice is doubling down on the mistakes they have made previously. Yep, that, that's what it's all been about. You know, like it says in Proverbs, like a dog returns to its vomit, so a, a fool returns to his folly. And, and it, that's what it seems like every day uh, they go back to the mask, go back to the restrictions, go back to, you know, the ineffective uh, therapeutics or the lack thereof outpatient and the garbage inpatient that they do. Um, you know, one of the questions I'm getting from people that are concerned is so far, uh, natural infection has held up very well. Studies have tracked it for a year uh, already that the T cells, um, uh, form like, um, stem cell like properties. We have the immunity in our bone marrow. And there was just a recent study that my buddy, Dr. Andy Boston was, uh, sending around here. I'm trying to see where it's from that actually went through the different variants and they actually did test Delta and the immunity was was solid as opposed to the immunity from the various different vaccines. But are you concerned, could we reach a point that if we continue mass vaccinating like a bunch of chickens without a head, that it will you know, if if Gert uh, Vandenbosch's um, Doctor Vandenbosch's premonition that we're going to create this super durable infection out of that, could that eventually evade natural immunity? Well, I mean, you're, the hope is if you've never been vaccinated, that even though you get around, you know, some, these vaccinated people may just become shedding places of factories that got number, huge numbers of virus. The hope is that you've got a good enough immune system that when this large viral load comes down your lungs, because your immune system is not deranged, that you'll still respond with cytotoxic T cells and win the war. Now, the, this is a very difficult calculation to make, but you could actually come down with the idea that somebody who's been vaccinated and boosted and now has no ability to make cytotoxic T cells 
becomes an incubator who is blowing out in every breath an enormous amount of viruses so that he can now overcome even a properly functioning immune system. Um, again, the, the, the problem with the immune system is it's so complicated and elegant that predicting it with 99% with accuracy is difficult to do. So you've got to take your best guess. But the best guess from what we're seeing here is that, look, we should give up on this option and use different options that have much greater safety that is already proven. Um, my take on it is they have greater efficacy as well. Um, but we should certainly, until we have some evidence that tell us that ADE is not being generated by this vaccine, which frankly, all of the data says this is what's going on, we should stop. Um, if we continue to go boostering and go down this road and get more and more people so that they're programmed to respond with ADE, we can actually end up with a population of people who gets hurt by a virus that shouldn't hurt you. Are you suggesting that people who had prior immunity already, they had prior infection, got you know robust T-cell uh, response, long-term immunity, but then also they get vaccinated too, that that the vaccination could negate their immunity their their from prior infection or reduce it because remember when you give the vaccine you're not giving a localized infectious stimulus to the immune system you're getting a systemic stimulus from the very beginning now that is not what the immune system ha that's not what it experiences naturally it's not rigged for that so it assumes that oh i've just got a systemic infection i have to go to antibodies and you can actually make it switch from a robust t-cell immunity response to a reduced T-cell immunity response, an exaggerated humoral or antibody immune system response, and now you've actually left the person so they're more susceptible to that respiratorily inherited local infection. So why is that not a problem with, let's say, mumps or measles vaccine than some of the other ones that seem to have worked for so many years? Well, there's a, a couple of differences between that and the vaccine system that works there. You have to remember when a cell gets infected with a virus, it actually talks to the immune system and says, look, I'm infected. It has to give these signals so that the immune system knows exactly how to choose which response and which tissue. When you gave somebody a measles, mumps, rubella vaccine, you have to remember that those viruses disseminated in the bloodstream very quickly after they got in through the lung in the first place. They were very good at getting out in the bloodstream. So if you took them and you gave them a live virus in infection, which is what MMR is, it's actually a virus that gets in, it infects cells, it's just really lousy at getting out and moving to the next cell. It's actually telling the immune system, okay, here's how you fight me. I'm giving you all the right signals. So the immune system gets a properly done immune response to a virus that was going to spread systemically in the first place. And now you have an immune system which responds in a properly balanced fashion for that pathogen. So I don't want anybody to hear Dan Stock said he's anti-vaccine. I'm not. I'd give my own kid an MMR. Glad my parents gave me an MMR. All right. However, we've gotten this very superficial analysis of vaccine good. We've got lots of examples of vaccine bad because depending on how the pathogen fights, how fast it goes into the bloodstream or if it goes there at all, you can actually end up with a vaccine that makes things worse. And we've seen that with viral respiratory infections and not just once, not just twice. We've seen it so, three times. So to, to, to break this down very simply for our audience, you're saying that the, the difference here, aside from, you know, the other differences qualitatively in the vaccine, it's only spike protein. So it's narrow spectrum and, you know, the way it's uh, delivered and, and the payload and 
you know, possibly the lipid nanoparticles. There's, there's several concerns, but you're saying something different from what a lot of people are pointing out in that it's the nature of the infection. You're saying it's prone to be problematic with respiratory viruses because the pathogen tends to stay in the lungs? Correct. In fact, one of the things I would, you have to know about, uh, not all pathogens are equally penetrant, all right? So when in medical school, I was told when you got German measles, 95% of people would actually come down with symptoms, all right? So that means the penetrance was very high. Only 5% of immune systems were good enough to fight off measles without having symptoms. But with these respiratory viral infections, we usually see between 50 and 70% of people who become infected have no symptoms. Well, first of all, that tells us that the problem with a viral respiratory pathogen like uh, influenza, common cold, COVID-19, isn't that the pathogen is just all that god-awful bad. It's that your immune system is god-awful bad. Well, if that's the case, if the major variable is the quality of your immune system response, vaccination never had a prayer to begin with, all right? And, of course, that's one of the reasons why influenza vaccine just doesn't do very much, all right? It, it really doesn't, and, 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 and I think my audience knows that, that there's been tons of literature on that, that especially if you look at seniors, the people that really needed it, there really is no evidence since we've done it in mass, and it really has grown a lot. Um, so many people get it, almost all seniors get it. It really has not reduced fatality. There's really no evidence of that. Right. And, and you can see that because if the problem is your dysfunctioning immune system, you can't win the war by going after the pathogen. Um, and when you have a low penetrance pathogen like COVID-19 virus, I'm, and I don't want anybody to think that COVID-19 isn't a bad disease. It is. When the thing gets away from your immune system, it causes a lot of problems, just like influenza does. All right. But the, the majority of people who are going to come and become infected with this thing aren't going to get symptoms. I never got symptoms. Um, therefore, you can kind of tell that, guys, well, you can't win going after the pathogen. You have to improve the immune system. Well, I'm going to violate HIPAA and tell people a little bit about you. This is a good transition because we only have a couple minutes here. So I want to get to tra transpose this discussion into what you should be doing. We talk about what you shouldn't do. So it's funny. I, I feel better now that I have a doctor like you expressing it the way I did. I, I always said what's been clear is we've always tried to play footsies with the virus non-pharmaceutical interventions and the pharmaceutical interventions, a.k.a. the vaccines. We're playing footsies trying to chase the pathogen. But the real issue has always been the cytokine storm, the immune dysregulation. Bulk up your immune system. So I got, I mentioned to the audience, I have an article today on vitamin D. We've spoken a lot about ivermectin um, and some of the other, uh, you know, very promising therapeutics that should be used early. Some of them work even later stage, but the key is to keep people out of the hospital. Um, and I've talked a little bit on and off about vitamin D, but you told me earlier today, you're like, yeah, you know, I never got any symptoms. So I said, hey, what's your vitamin D level? And you told me, tell the audience what it is. 78. 78. Okay. I didn't think you could even get that. So I was like, oh, that's why you didn't have any symptoms. Okay. So our audience is pretty clued into vitamin D, but you taught me, so I don't, you know, I don't want to reinvent the wheel here. You taught me something really new today uh, that I want to share with the audience. So, you know, I've been telling them that, look, you got to get your levels up, certainly up over 40, um, as high as you can. You've had 17 months to do that. So you take the D3 tablets. If you have absorption issues, Dr. Cole has been pushing you know, magnesium together with it. Okay. But let's say, you know, you, your still levels are still low. You didn't do it. You didn't follow the guidance. You get hit with COVID. I always thought, well, yeah, I mean, it's good to take vitamin D, but certainly that's not going to solve it. And you need the ivermectin and other stuff. 
you're saying there is a solution even with vitamin D, even in the late hour, people hospitalized that is not being used either outpatient or inpatient. Could you describe that? Yeah, so a little bit of physiology on vitamin D. When you get vitamin D, either through a supplement or through your skin making it, it has to be activated to the active form called 25-hydroxyvitamin D by the liver. Now, when people get inflamed, many times their liver's enzyme systems change and they have difficulty converting vitamin D to the active form. So uh, what would one think of, well, you know, an easy way to do that is let's just bypass the liver and give people 25-hydroxyvitamin D. So in October, there was a study published out of Spain where they had a group of people, 75 people randomly assigned to either be on a two-to-one ratio, to either be assigned to a, what was really a fairly low dose of 25-hydroxyvitamin D. It was only about 2,000 international units. Um, or they were given a placebo, and they were all admitted acutely with COVID-19. Uh, there was a 100% reduction in death. Um, and I want to state from the get-go, that was a small enough sample size that just because there were zero deaths in 50 in the treatment group and two deaths in the placebo group is not statistically significant sure. to say it reduces death with 95% certainty, although it does have data that says it reduces death better than any of the vaccines. But probably even the better argument was there was a 90% reduction in progression to the ICU. And that was highly statistically significant, was not possibly due to chance, and was equally effective whether you had diabetes or not, had high blood pressure or not, whether you were old or whether you were young, whether you were obese or thin, 25-hydroxyvitamin D was equally effective, highly statistically significant. Since that, we've had randomized trials come out that were uh, unblinded that have shown around a 90% reduction in death as well. Um, this is uh, by far the most active thing I've seen for people who come in. You have to remember that um, as your 25-hydroxyvitamin D level goes up, your risk of death from COVID-19 drops until you get to a level of 55 where it levels off. And when it gets to 55, your risk of death is about one quarter of the risk of death of the general population. Uh, so so um, I, I want to put this in two parts, inpatient, outpatient. You're talking about inpatient right now. Um, what you're saying is revolutionary. Because, you know, we've been talking about, okay, what do you do when you get the guy with the bad cytokine storm? And this this has been the the problem with this virus. And people come in, uh, their their sats drop uncontrollably, and, you know, they, they just can't get, get it under control. And, and we're like, darn, you know, I've, uh, ICU doctor told me everyone she's seen in the ICU, their levels were below 20. Um, man, I wish that guy would have bulked up his levels. You're telling me that right on the spot... You know, you could give them an IV of the active form, and you're saying, you know, we're looking at ivermectin, which is which is great, but you know, late hour, the nothing is 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 a short thing. We're looking at androgen blockers, you know, proxalumatide and different things. We're kind of like experimenting this and that. You're saying you can give them an infusion of active vitamin D, and that's probably the best thing you can do. And we're not really doing it. Well, you don't even have to give it as an infusion. It's available as a pill. Um, well, it, it should be available as a pill. In the United States, um, when I read that study, I called up my compounding pharmacist because you can't go down to CVS and buy 25-hydroxy vitamin D. Um, you have to have it compounded up by a compounding pharmacist. But when I called up mine and said, hey, how can you make this up? I need to have this on hand for people. I found a chemical supplier. It looks like it's about 10 bucks to get a 10-day supply of this. And he said, Dan, the FDA's already told us that we're going to get fined $50,000 and lose our license if we compound the stuff up. I can't wait, make wait, it wait, for wait, you. When, when did that happen? When did that have... – no, I'm saying, was that always a regulation or they just made it recently? 
Well, the way my pharmacist explains it to me is the, um, the federal government has the right to enforce against compounding of anything that doesn't have what's called a U.S. pharmacopeia monograph. They don't always choose to, um, but they have the legal authority to because our Congress doesn't write very smart laws. Um, in this particular instance, he said they told him out and uh, singled out 25-hydroxyvitamin D for if we catch you compounding this stuff, you're so. So you're telling me that that you know a regular person in pharmacy they can't get a hold. They can get a hold of the regular inactive D3, um, but not the 25-hydroxyvitamin D, which is the active vitamin D bypasses the liver and that could give you immediate results. Um, could do, do hospitals have access to that? Well, their pharmacist could only compound it up if they were willing to take a huge fine. And so have so they could only do IV, and generally speaking, they're either unwilling or too dumb to understand, you know, what you're... Well, I, IV would still, it does, it still doesn't have a USP monograph, and it's not FDA approved, so they wouldn't be able to do so IV. Wait, wait, so you're saying it's right not now, being FDA, done in the hospitals at all? I don't know of any place that's doing okay, it. Okay, so that's not even being done, and, and you're saying worse than that theoretically, if you wanted to quell this, here's, I'm taking what you're saying with my layman brain, still can't pronounce any of these scientific terms, but based on what you've told me, some other doctors, am I on board with my funky analogy here? Rather than viewing this as like a wildfire, you know, and which it kind of is, that's uncontrollable and you have to do a million things to put out the forest fire and then you get, get the firefighters on the ground and the planes with the chemicals and whatever, it's more like a stove fire where um, well, I, well, you'll see where I'm headed with this, where basically the entire problem is the cytokine storm. It's the cytokines out of control, attacking your lungs, attack, 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 and you don't have enough vitamin D to say, hey, chill out, chill out, you know, turn it off. If you get the right vitamin D in someone's levels right away, is are you telling me it's almost like turning off the oven stone? It's like quelled it, boom, done. It's probably by far our most effective agent. I don't think it has to be used alone. Certainly adding zinc and hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin together in that, if you get somebody who's really circling the drain, is a great idea. But let's face it, when you start seeing 90 and 100% reductions in death in trials, you've got to say the major variable involved here is 25-hydroxyvitamin D level. Um, you know, we already know that your risk of dying is reduced by 75% if you have a 25-hydroxyvitamin D level but, but, but you're 55. sure about that point that it's not just at the moment that it hit you. You're saying it's not too late. Even if it did hit you at a low level, oh, no. you're saying if yeah. you raised it up yeah. to, to Dr. Stock's level of vitamin D, it yeah. would turn off the cytokine storm? We know the, the only thing missing from the study was they didn't do 25-hydroxyvitamin D levels before and after treatment. So I would love to see that data done, but I tell somebody, look, I don't need that to tell me that the Dagon stuff is extremely effective in treating somebody with acute COVID-19. Um, therefore, the first thing I would do if I had a patient walk in my office and I didn't have the FDA and the federal government in my way, and they said, hey, Dr. Stock, I just newly became your patient and I have a horrible level of 25-hydroxyvitamin uh, D, I would pump them with the oral form of 25-hydroxyvitamin D. It's very inexpensive if the FDA wasn't in the way. It appears to be remarkably effective. It doesn't require an IV. It doesn't cost $10 to give somebody a 10-day supply of this stuff. Um, and then you can switch them over to the dirt-cheap uh, regular form quickly after that. 
Um, you know, I throw that in there with some zinc and some quercetin to make the zinc work better, some ivermectin, and now you've got somebody who's acutely hospitalized who was probably within 72 hours going home. And you're saying acutely hospitalized, how much more so you do this, you know, from day one, test and treat rather than test and trace, were we to have all these testing centers and actually make use out of what we've already paid for and give them treatment on the spot as we should be. Um, look, I wish we would have done a separate show on this because it's too much. We'll have you on. Um, real quickly, final two minutes. Could you give us a lightning round of not? Don't go into the pharmacology because we don't have enough time, and I know you can do this. But your advice, people looking at this, very worried whether they had the vaccine or whether they didn't, um, and they want to fortify themselves, they want to protect themselves. What are some of the easiest things they can do? Uh, five to seven thousand international units of I vitamin D a day or whatever it takes to get your level greater than 55 zinc 10 to 25 milligrams a day test yourself with a two percent solution of zinc sulfate after about two weeks to make sure that your zinc uh, taste test has a latency of no more than six seconds uh, take 200 to 400 micrograms of selenium a day and then two weeks later if your zinc taste test is good uh, add in uh, 6.25 milligrams of iodine iodide combination and have somebody test your iron levels to make sure that you're uh, soluble transparent receptor divided by the log to base 10 of your ferritin level is less than 1.5. Uh, you do that. You've got my, you've got what I had when I had my asymptomatic seroconversion. In so December. in other words, rather than the stupid COVID tests and the vaccines, the most important thing is the government should be paying for blood tests. If you really want to, you know, get people up on this. Yeah, I mean, if you get a 25-hydroxyvitamin D level and it's low, just start somebody on treatment immediately. We have a way to bolus dose people. We typically give people 50,000 international units a day for three straight days. That gets their liver a dose that it can chew real quick, get made into the active form, get their levels up quick. These are things we could be doing for people in the outpatient to stop this COVID-19 thing right now. Um, you got to eat some vitamin K with your vitamin D if you're going to do it long term because you may end up with a calcification issue, but that's cheap too. Um and honestly, we functional doctors who know this kind of stuff, we look at this as, guys, this is not the most challenging thing that I do in my practice on a daily wow. basis. Wow. That, that, um, that, is, that is as empowering as it is depressing. I really appreciate your advice. Want to have you back again. Uh, keep, keep spreading the word. Folks, we are way out of time. I am going to be out next week, but I will give you a pre-tape bonus show for Monday. Have a terrific weekend. Really looking forward to seeing you guys on the other side. God bless you all. Thank you.